Hello, my name is Jack Oatway. And I'm Jay Oatway, and this is Like Dragon Like Sun, the podcast uh, where a father and son sit down and uh, discuss how not to play D&D right. Exactly. We, we give experts and new players hopefully something something new to think about, to chew on with their, their minds. And it's, it's the new year. We're making true on our, our resolutions out the gate. And I went. I went out right away. Uh, we want to talk about character builds. Last week's episode, and uh, attempted to build a druid lock. And uh, you know what? It wasn't easy. I'm not going to lie. It was. It was a bit of a challenge, and there was many a time I was asking myself, "Why, dear yeah. God, just why am I doing this?" Yeah. Um, however, that said, I've come up with the character, and I kind of like her. Um, I would play her. In fact, it's got me thinking, because this isn't the first uh, of this sort of character that we've come up with. Uh, it's a nautical, coastal sort of setting. It would go, she would get, go great on a uh, Sword Coast Adventures or a Menagerie Coast. Uh, if you're a Critical Role if fan. If you're a Critical Role fan, if you're playing uh, in any of those worlds. She's got a piratey sort of vibe to it, which maybe work might work in Eberron. Uh, as well, frankly, but definitely got like a watery sort of coastal sort of vibe going. Um, so, yes, so she's a uh, variant human. Her name is Salem Charms. Uh, she doesn't have any armor. She has uh, your typical sort of pirate garb, uh, which for female characters, uh, any sort of pictures I could find, seems to be sort of a bustier type thing, uh, corsety type thing with a uh, hat and lots of sort of shoulder sort of going. But uh, yeah, she's got big high sort of boots that come up over her knees. And I have enabled uh, for her some of the optional class feature benefits mm-hmm. since we're living in 2021 You did now. a lot of optional stuff with that one, um, I think, right? Not, well, yeah, okay. So we've I've definitely done some things with this Druid Warlock that I've never done with any character build before. I went went to new territories. Um, first of all, I wanted to build her piratey, right? I wanted her to have sort of a... I wanted to set up as well an opportunity to put her into a setting where uh, group patrons might be a thing. And so I thought a little bit about her patron and things, and we'll get to that in a minute. But I didn't want it to be... I didn't want this to be the same sort of trope. I wanted like any like dragon like sun build. I wanted us to subvert the tropes to break things down a little bit. So while she's a druid warlock, she's definitely definitely a pirate sort of girl first. But she didn't mean to be a pirate, right? She started off working in a fishing village. Uh, grew up in one. Her father's a, a fisherman. Her mother runs the local fish and chip shop. Uh, she didn't like working in the fish and chip shop. She never developed any sort of uh, cook utensils, proficiencies, or anything like that. Actually kind of hated the way she smelled like grease at the end of the day. Definitely knew she was going to be outside more. Liked being on the water with her father. She can handle a net, handle a trident, you know, can do some, like, stuff. So I'm like, okay, how do I make sure that my druid ends up with some cool, like, weapon proficiencies? 
Um, and so I took Weapon Master as the feat uh, for the variant human, giving your rapier, short sword, net, which is a very uncommon one to have uh, proficiency in, uh, and a trident, and a little bump to her dex score. I'm going to build her as a dexterity fighter, uh, which kind of makes sense, I think, for pirates. Very sort of swashbuckly sort of thing going on there. Um, bumped up charisma and her wisdom score a little bit, uh, as those are going to be things we used to cast with. Mm. Yeah, and... I mean, especially if you're thinking about playing a druid lock, quick tip. Um, think about how, like, what kind of spells you're going to be choosing. Because yeah. Warlock does offer some nice, like, save things if you, like, like Arms of Hadar and that sort of vibe. Um, then you might want to lean into that and put a little bit more in your to your charisma for better saves. But it does mean if you sacrifice your wisdom a little bit that you're going to have less spells that you can prepare. Fewer, yes. Fewer spells. Uh, so that was ended up what ended up happening, frankly. I played around with ability stat balances a lot going kind of back and forth um i've sort of taken her up to like a level six uh so she's got two levels of druid and four levels in warlock I, in fact i built her at fifth to start with two levels of druid and three warlock the fourth level on her asi i just boosted her decks uh up to max at eight, well not max up to 18 to sort of give her sort of what what she would look like uh with that asi but no extra feats or anything crazy at that point um, well, if there was a feat you would pick, what would you pick? I don't know, actually. Like, linguist? <laughs> um, would have to sort of s- play her a little bit and sort of see a little bit more. Um, so, her, so her stats ended up being, and we'll, there's a link in the description below. If you want to click on that, you'll see the character sheet for her here. But let me just talk you through her stat blocks. So her strength is 10. Um, and again, I wanted to sort of reflect this sort of, yeah, she's been on the water. She can work, you know, she can pull on ropes. She can climb things, you know, no real penalties, no real bonuses. She's not super buff in that category. Uh, her decks, this was the point by, ended up with uh, me putting a 15 in that, which with uh, various other uh, bumps, like I said, the ability score improvement at sixth level takes her to an 18 in that. So makes her really quick on her feet. 12 in constitution because I'm a believer that everybody should have a little plus one bonus in their constitution. It's just good for everything. Um, intelligence was the dump stat. Eight intelligence. Right. Usually is. For a build like this. Now, here's the controversial bit. More strength. And there'll be some of you out there in Radio Land who love druids who are going to be shocked and horrified. Uh, wisdom, I put uh, 11 from the point by into that, uh, which gave her with some modifiers, uh, a total of 12, uh, which seems quite low. And they like said, that's going to limit how many Druid spells I can prepare. prepare. And this goes back to when I was asking myself, why am I taking Druid at all in here? And my answer for that will be because it does some cool things with the new, uh, the new features that are available through Tasha's. And I will talk about that in a sec. So I'm basically taking those two levels of Druid to pick up a couple of fun uh, flavor elements and yeah, a variety of spells. I mean, mm. I still get to choose from- It's makes your cantrips, right? Yeah, so it makes your cantrips, choose from a lot of spells. And yeah, I can't prepare a ton, but you can at any long rest cycle out through a big list of yeah. spells different choices of yeah, things. Yeah, it's always so, a nice little So there's a lot of versatility in there that a, a warlock straight up doesn't normally get. So mm-hmm. you're adding a lot of extra spells in on that. 
Uh, and so, not surprisingly, uh, I also put the charisma at 15, which with the racial bonus took charisma up to 16 uh, as my main spellcasting. And again, choosing, okay, what, which main spellcaster was I going to be? Was it going to be more of a druid with a touch of warlock or vice versa? I like the idea that she started out as a bit of a druid at, this, at sea. She didn't actually start as a pirate. She maybe got working on a fishing boat somewhere or, a, you know, she left town because her folks knew that she she wasn't made for staying put in a small fishing village. So she she went off to, to see things and explore and uh, and somehow while out exploring um, at sea, uh, there was a terrible storm, as as you do perhaps a shipwreck uh and she falls in to cahoots with into the service of a, a coven of very powerful sea hags mm. and they become her patron so her warlock patron uh is the fathomless her warlock um right. sub, subclass Which if you don't know is a new tosh subclass the fathomless and mm. her her Interesting, kind of for her druid side of things when she started out as well, I looked for a bit at the very circle of land coastal sort of thing, which, you know, old school, been around for a while. But then, you know, I'm like, eh, you know what would be more fun? Let's do something different. Let's do something new. So I took uh, Circle of Stars. Ooh, also Tasha. You're just... Yeah, just digging, digging into the new stuff, right? And so there's a couple of interesting little things that come with that. So she gets this thing called um, Star Chart. Uh, it's a tiny object and can serve as spell casting focus for your druid spells. Uh, and I thought, you know, it'd be cool if she had sort of a Jack Sparrow-esque compass um. for that, <laughs> that she can sort of pull fun. out. Um, it grants her uh, a guidance uh, cantrip, which is fun. But it's not really a guidance. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, it does. I, oh, sorry, I was thinking about the talisman. Yeah, no, it's, which it's, is also kind of guidance. So yeah. you can almost really double up and get lots of d fours. Yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll get to that to that part of the build in a minute. Um, so she gets guidance at will, which is great, and uh, and it gives her a guiding bolt, uh, sort of like uh, a once per day sort of thing, um, which doesn't count against the number of spells that she has prepared. So sort of like a little backup, like kapow thing. Mm. Um, uh, you can actually, um, you can cast Guiding Bolt without expending spell, spell slot. You can do so a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus and you gain all you sit a long rest. So it's, it's just like, I mean, she's going to have a bunch of other things you'll see, but you know, just as a little bit of extra flavor and flair. Hey, there's a, there's a guiding bolt in there. It's not a great, it's only a plus four to hit sort of thing, but in the right circumstance, uh, guiding bolts can really help everybody else out in the party as well. So kind of a fun one to have uh, in her back pocket. The neat thing though, second level, uh, Circle of Stars Druids pick up Starry Form. Mm. Um, so I'm really a big fan of this. Um, I like this idea because what Starry Form and um, another feature I'll talk about in a second, do is that they let you use your wild shape feature to do something else other than transforming into a beast. And I like the idea that she almost never transforms into a creature. 
she might in a pinch like a, a rat or something to sneak on board a ship or something like that. But honestly, she probably can count on one hand how many times in her life she's changed into an animal. She knows how to do it. She can do it. She dislikes doing it, thinks it's kind of weird and creepy. And and she's a little bit like shy and ashamed of doing it in front of other people, for sure. Like it would have to be role play wise. I think she'd be like, eh, like, can we do this any other way? Um, so she's got this starry form though. So what it is, what I've done with this is, uh, it says while in, in your starry form, you retain the game statistics, but your body becomes luminous in some ways and kind of glows. Um, so what I sort of thought is, okay, what she's going to do is what happens is that, uh, her tattoo on her arm, uh, begins to glow and it takes on a different shape and form and maybe even spreads across her body uh and glows uh as she takes on either the form of our archer so the tattoo would be like a real like sort of archery like range weapon attack sort of but piratey still some sort of tattoo across her body that way this one's called a chalice which is more of a life-giving sort of one that's connected mm. to hp and then one called dragon uh the archer uh, archer one uh, when you activate this as a bonus action on subsequent turns while it lasts, you make ranged spell attacks, hurling luminous arrows at targets. So it doesn't have to be an arrow. You can like recraft it into tentacle. whatever shades you want. Well, yeah, she does have some tentacle attacks, um, but we'll talk about that later. Yeah, this could be that. Or I was thinking even that she could chuck uh, trident type shapes right. uh, rather than arrows. It, it doesn't really much matter for as long as you just keep the... Uh, on then hit the attack deals radiant damage of a d8 plus your wisdom modifier which again i'm sorry i nerfed but um so she gets that that's kind of fun uh sort of the chalice is like the chalice one stuff, right? yeah so she got she has some healing spells so the and chalice the is better with yeah give, basically right? with the chalice going um either you or another creature within 30 feet um whenever you cast a spell that restores hit points Either you or somebody within 30 feet of you, uh, you can tap to regain hit points equal to 1d8 plus your wisdom modifier. So an extra d8 plus whatever. Uh, in her case, I guess two. Um, and is it two or one? Anyways, that uh, that's a little extra. So at lower level, this makes, makes you know, this is quite good. Um, this would be less interesting as you get into like, levels above 10 but below that you know this is like a whole extra hit die um on it with a of healing on a, on a on a spell so that's pretty good and the dragon one uh basically lets you uh when you make an intelligence or wisdom check or constitution save to maintain the concentration on a spell you treat any low roll of nine or lower as a 10 yeah. So those are all really neat ways to use her wild shape form, um, which can augment sort of her other sort of things. So that meant I sort of felt with like that archer ability in there um, that I wasn't going to need to take a lot of like, I didn't want to go Eldritch Blasty with the warlock, right? I wanted to sort of, again, try to do something that seemed a little different. Oh, there's one other feature I want to mention before we move on. Uh, a second level, you get uh, with you activate your optional features. Optional features. 
Wild Companion. You gain the ability to summon a spirit that assumes an animal form as an action. Uh, basically, it's casting Find Familiar without any component cost, and it burns one use of your wild shape to do so. And and the familiar is Fae instead of a beast, uh, and it doesn't last for huge amounts of time. The familiar disappears after a number of hours equal to half your druid level. So in her case, she only gets the the familiar to show up sort of for an hour. I mean, my question would be, why not just take Pact of the Chain? Well, because I wanted to, to, yeah, I thought about that too. But that, again, kind of like done. Like been there, yeah, done that. but it's kind of like. This is fun. She has a little pet parrot that pops up Polly when she needs Polly. Polly doesn't need to be around all the time. Polly's there for scouting stuff when you need some like eyes in the sky, right? right? And you'd only need that for an hour at a time. You don't need your, she doesn't need Polly kicking around all the time. She uses Polly when she needs it. And it's just right. one of your wild shape forms, poof. And so I like this idea that she's either using it for attacking or healing or, you know, bolstering saves or bringing a parrot in. And so if I add to the question, what do I use the druid portion of her for? That's it. It's that sort of stuff. It adds a really different sort of flavor to the magic and character uh, and the druidic side of things. It doesn't. It, it kind of gets away from the standard druid vibe, and mm. I really like that. Um, I'd play that, and it gets only a couple levels in it. She'll never be like super awesome at those things. The things that she starts to excel at much more are going to be the warlock features as that yeah. builds. So you're right. Okay. I if you were gone... to take one more level in Druid, though, what would you do? Is there like a subclass? Or, well, no, your subclass is second level. Never mind. Yeah. So at that point, it, it there is you do start picking up other stuff in Druid. Um, second level spells. Yeah, you pick up some more spells. Candid versatility at four. But... Yeah. Nah. You don't really get anything cool until about six in it. So it's okay. I think a couple levels in it like that is a, if we're going to make a Druid lock, it's kind of a fun way to f add a little Druid flavor right. without, but again, without getting too too deep into the druid flavor of things mm. uh so then it's like it really is after that it's it's okay warlock time what are we doing so i said okay we're going fathomless that'll be fun um we're gonna do uh we're gonna get some fun things with that we're gonna get tentacles of the deep mm. um so again, so she's got a lot of stuff going on here. So she's got, she's got the ability to fight with weapons, right? Uh, she's got takes an eldritch invocation that gives her the ability to mage armor at will, armor of shadows. So her AC now sits something like sixteen, right? I think yes. With mage armor, because you've got like, she's got a good buff to her good buff to dexterity, dexterity. At the cost of your wisdom. Um, yeah. Like I said, because, but we're going to try to avoid wisdom spell attack spells, mm. right? Or spell that, you you know, druid, druid attack spells. Because I've got this instead. So tentacles of the deep are really kind of fun. Um, it's a bonus action as well. If she has any issues, it's the fact that she's got so many bonus actions to choose from. Mm. Um, as a bonus action, you create a 10 foot long tentacle at a point you can see within 60 feet of you. So this can erupt out of the ground or it can come out of, you know, her back, or it could be, I have sort of this like feeling that after dealing with the sea hags, she has this creepy tentacle sort of thing going on. Um, 
When you create the tentacle, you can make a melee attacks, melee spell attack against a creature within 10 feet of it. 10 feet reach. It's not bad, right? Uh, and on a hit, it takes 1d8 cold damage, and that uh, target speed is reduced by 10 feet until the start of your next turn. Uh, so that's pretty good. And that's just sort of like a bonus action, extra, you know, action economy you've got on the table. There's one more attack and it can be set at strategic points on the map as well. You can put that anywhere up to six feet of you and it's got a 10 foot reach. And then each turn on your bonus action, you can move it and attack with it, which is pretty cool. Uh, you can move, up, move it up to 30 feet and attack. So you basically are bringing out another attacker onto the board sort of with this. Mm. Um, so I think that makes her quite, quite versatile, actually, on a combat field. Um, so I took, for the Pact Boon, I took Pact the Talisman. Why? Well, mostly because I hadn't done it yet. <laughs> That's right. what 21-21 is kind of all about. Um, so I sort of thought, okay. Say 21-21? Yeah, we're in the year 21-21. Isn't that how the calendar works? Jeez. Next year be twenty two twenty two. That's crazy. No, no, no. Wow, twenty two twenty two. Do you think we will just call it two 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 two? No. Um, <laughs> so the idea is that your patron gives you an amulet, and I sort of like this idea that because she was dealing with like like a sea coven, right? A coven of of sea hags. That you know this they weren't they weren't so otherly otherworldly, and it was sort of like okay, you're now part of the Sea Hag Mafia. You're going to have to work with a pirate cruise. You're going to have to do things that we tell you to do. And so for a while, she was like definitely sort of locked into the pirate life. And everybody in this has got one of these sort of necklaces. Um, and when people see the necklace at sea, they immediately know what you're all about. Mm. And I sort of thought that was interesting. Like to do something. I thought you even sort of mentioned it as the idea of being a group patron even. Yeah, well, it could be, party. right? So we could use the group patron rules um, for these hags as well, which could be really fun. Mm. Um, so the the amulet's interesting. When whenever you fail, or well, not whenever actually, um, when you fail an ability check, you can add a d4 to the roll. Now, so if she's done guidance already on herself, and that d4 plus the regular roll has still come up, just a little bit short, you know, two or three points. Hey, let's roll the d4 and see if we can't get that up over the top. Um, so the talismans, I mean, of all the things in Warlock, it does seem kind of a little bit like you're reading through it and you're like, well, is that it? Yeah. I mean, a tiny little boost, like once per long rest to my, like, heck, my my guidance at will is freaking way, way better. But that can stack right yeah so this can stack on top of that which is okay so now i'm getting 2d4 on potentially important uh but the thing about the talisman checks. is it's caught some invocations and you can add yeah. it to, so give it to others she, yeah well that's it too i could she can put this around the neck of anybody or the parrot <laughs> the parrot um the wearer of your talisman uh, is is the way that everything seems to be worded. So yeah, she can take the necklace off and give it to somebody else. And I think that's kind of interesting as well. Like I don't quite know all the ways that that could work, but again, in gameplay, it provides you with some interesting options. Mm -hmm. um, I took for the other uh, 
Eldritch uh, invocation uh, rebuke of the talisman, which requires, obviously, for you to have the talisman. When the wearer of your talisman is hit by an attacker that you can see within 30 feet of you, so it means... What does it mean? Well, I guess that you're the wearer of the talisman and you, there's got to be like, there's a distance related thing, right? Well, if you're wearing it, then you're within zero feet of yourself. Well, you'd think, right? But it says when you're hit by an attacker, it doesn't say by melee. So I'm also wondering, does this work against range attack? Maybe? I'd have to go dig into that Here, a bit let more. me, you know what? Let me open it right now while you're explaining it. Anyway, so basically you can use your reaction then to deal psychic damage to the attacker equal to your proficiency bonus. So it's like it's a set, you know, little chunk of damage at uh, her current level. That would be like three points of psychic damage. Um, and, but here's the fun thing. It also pushes the attacker 10 feet away from the talisman wearer. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's quite useful. Um, if you, well, if you want to push somebody off a ship or mm. if you want to be able to uh, get away from something that's quite tough um, without opening up yourself to opportunity attacks without having to disengage on your action. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's kind of a fun, fun little thing that the talisman kind of offers this sort of, uh, yeah, rebuke sort of thing that, that knocks people back when they get, they hit you. Uh, there's not a lot of damage, but no. But the knockback is kind of fun. It is kind of fun. Yeah, I think so. The way it's worded, the way I read it, the wearer of your talisman, which let's say for this instance is you, when you're hit by an attacker, you can see within thirty feet of you. So it could be a range attack, mm -hmm. provided they're within thirty feet. Not much range is within thirty, but no, you still. Sh I've shot things less than that. It's true, I guess, but eh, it's kind of short. <laughs> I mean, it would be nice if it was a little further, but I, I kind of get it. You can use your reaction to deal psychic damage to the attacker and push it 10 feet away from the talisman where, yeah, it's kind of fun. Yeah, it is kind of fun. So, What spells did you pick for from the warlock side of things? Right. Um, so just pull these up here. Mm. So I'm thinking, again, she's going to be a dex... She's going to not not be afraid of some dex melee fighting. I want a very versatile character. Like the idea that she could be sitting back doing spells and some range stuff. She could end up in a fight if she needed to. That's sort of what a warlock's kind of about is what yeah. I more imagined is they're a little bit more martial. Yeah, and and uh, the druid feature in there kind of gives a little blend to that as well. It kind of gives her uh, a both a helper sort of vibe, but also potentially, you know, could be the front line, could be, yeah, it could be anywhere. And I think... In a lot of parties, having a character like that who can move around and fill in, mm. uh, super helpful, super good in any party. I, I'd have her in any party. So it's got uh, a bit of a green green flame blade, or it could be a booming blade, but I think green flame blade maybe. Um, I sort of 50-50 on those. Um, I thought mage hand, but instead of it being like a usual mage hand, it'd Little be tentacle. like, yeah, spectral tentacle that kind of comes out That's and moves things around um kind of fun uh and then i like the idea that she's got this like she's got the like if she picked up anything from the hags in her time at sea is this like sort of evil eye that there's this sort of a voodoo -y sort of thing going on so she's got mind sliver 
right? Um, and kind of like get in your head. I like Mind Sliver as a, it's an intelligent save. Uh, pretty good against uh, a lot of creatures that don't have, uh, well, intelligent saving proficiencies of any sort. So uh, not so good against rogues and whatnot, but hey. Hey, what you going to do? Arms of Hadar, because, hey, we're on a tentacle theme. Uh, and that's very on on mm. theme. Uh, cause fear, for much the same reason as Mind Sliver. Just this ability to sort of intimidate and scare people a bit. Um, after all, you got to be a pirate somehow. I took, and here's the one I took. Because, again, here's a spell I've never played. I think, I can't, when I'm sitting here looking at it, think of any really good use for it. But I think if I had it, and I had it in game, I'd be looking for opportunities to try to create or destroy water. It's a useful one. I, you'd think. Are there um, flames going on? Boom. Maybe. You can create a little create shower water. with it. You can like you could suck water out of a space. You mm -hmm. could I don't know. Yeah, I saw on a sinking ship, remove a little bit of water from the ba ship. Bailing it out. Well, things are fixing um, it. Um maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Uh you need a quick drink, boom. Water. <laughs> it's it's a lot of water. Um but yeah, I, I'm just like, I kind of wanted to some some nautical Themes, sort of theme yeah. stuff. So along with that was Gust of Wind. Uh, which again, I've had that spell with another character that I've used before. It's actually kind of fun. It's just this giant like fan that you sort of like blast from you out into others. And uh, and so those are, those are sort of the, you know, more fun, I think, sort of spells. And of course... Uh, her best sort of second level is Shadow Blade because, mm -hmm. uh, hey, it's nice once in a while if you need to pull out uh, a, a super scary sword yeah. uh, to do so. Exactly. And um, it's kind of finesse, right? Which is nice about Shadow Blade. Yeah. And and again, it's it's a 2d8 psychic damage sort of thing. So it's kind of uh, probably overcomes magic... Uh, you know, resistances and things like that. I wonder that. if you could and, pair that up with like a thrown weapon fighting one, like fighting style or something, you know? Maybe. Just as a fun thinking activity. From but the, that's cool. From I the, like from the Druid side, she picked up Shape Water. Right. Uh, which makes Classic. sense. Classic. Thorn Whip, I think. Yep. Right. I took Thorn Whip because I wanted it to be a tentacle. <laughs> that's that fun. Was it. I like that. And again, it's, it's not as good to hit, but I almost sort of thought, I could see myself saying to another player as well, if I wanted to pull them out of trouble, this is going to sting a little bit. And then you like you whip one of your own players with it, um, and yeah, it does a little bit of damage, but then you can yank them whoosh, out of the way or whatever, um, which is kind of fun, mm. cantripy thing. Possibly <clears throat> less damage than what they might take if they stayed exactly. in the midst of three or four attackers. Um, so yeah, pulling somebody out of danger space like that, so they avoid opportunity attacks and things can be quite Is it a good. 1d10? What, for Thorn Whip damage? Or is it 1d8? Thorn Whip is uh, 1d6 oh. when you reach 5th level. I see. Uh, what? Would it be 2d6? Oh, no, yeah, it increases by 1d6, so it's 2d6 at that point. Yeah. So that's actually a little bit of a sting, but... Great sword level. <laughs> um, ouch. Uh, but you can follow that up with Cure Wounds. Uh, fog cloud and protection from evil and good. Yeah, classic. Uh, all of which are you know you don't really need spell safety. A lot of attack. extra wisdom well, 
to drop. Thorn Whip would be nice, but. But those are just like what I prepared for now, like sort of off the top of my head, what sort of things are kind of thematically good for her. That could be any Druid spell because that's how it works, right? Mm. Yeah. Or if you want to like kind of engage that melee, but don't feel super comfortable, like, yeah. you know, running up into the fray, you could try and pull an enemy towards you. Uh, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you can definitely do those things as well. Mm. Or pull an enemy away from other people. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so there's things like that. Especially or you, something is not quite within 30 feet, an attacker, you pull them close, they hit you, poof, they're 10 feet back again. You know, you're just yeah. like... Shoo, poof, poof, yeah, it's kind of get, like, like that going. Um, or you could, maybe if you, you had Booming Blade and they get knocked back and they have to move up to you, attack you again, then they... I don't yeah. Know, maybe some good combination... Uh, of they have those to be two willing, things. like they have to willingly, have to willingly move. move. But if they if if they have a melee attack and they have to move up to hit you again, then well. Mm. Um, and then for her background, I took sailor. You know, right. uh, you can Classic. you can call it something else, but um, and it's just yeah, ship's passage. She can, you know, hitch a ride on boats and stuff. She's known around. I I didn't want to take the pirate one where everybody's like scared of her and mm. she can intimidate people in town. I I as as sort of background features go i sort of think that one's a little too too um i sort of like the one where she's a little like she's not like a pirate captain she's just um although that said i think the necklace would have a for anybody who knew what it meant an effect where they'd be like hey hey don't hurt us mm. yeah something like that i like her so Druid yeah law. simple equip equipment uh she's got a cutlass because Classic. i said yep. in my new year's resolutions pirate it, that I wasn't going to have standard uh, names for right, right, right. for swords anymore. Um, and uh, pretty much that's it. What is, what is the cutlass? A scimitar? Yeah. Yeah. D6. You know, I think druids get proficiency with scimitars. Right? I think that's part of their proficiency. Yeah. It's interesting. But I wanted, to, like I said, I, I took some of the, I, I just wanted to take that little martial sort of thing so that she had like nets again like not maybe because i was min maxing or picking the very best features for mm. for this build like trying to max out her total potential like you know i wanted it to be i wanted to like tell a story i wanted to sort of be this sort of like you know uh character who yeah who was good with a number of sort of swords and weapons and things um that she wasn't wasn't just a typical like fighter wasn't a typical like rogue or even like and definitely didn't want it to, like to be a typical druid so this is again one of our builds where we're we're looking at how you take how you take a character like a piratey type thing which you know swashbuckler would be the obvious subclass that is designed to be this character and how to build it with some completely different, different subclasses yeah. in this case two additional ones uh, just to give it even more variety because i mean the parrot is a good kick i mean i love I, what's a pirate without a parrot that's like exactly um so anyways quite a few fun little things uh from that uh and that's that's salem charms uh check the description like if you want to see her uh and what she's all about now and i feel free to steal her ears suddenly i i love salem charms but i want to talk about a character we i played recently and you saw in action yeah uh we recently played a 20th level one shot again uh, it seems like we're playing more i'm playing more 20th level stuff than regular level stuff at this point but he was a uh cleric wizard which i think we've mentioned a little bit before um 
could be an interesting multi-class choice, and I kind of wanted to give it a go. Uh, I knew which way I sort of wanted to go with it, but he's a very unusual wizard. Uh, the way I've split it is he's got two levels of cleric. He's a Twilight Domain, and he's got 18 levels of Conjuration Wizard. So both of these builds, I mean, the the commonality here is we're taking two spellcasting builds mm. and mushing them together. That typically don't share spellcasting abilities. Yeah, and and like the... I think I think a lot of people when they multi-class, they try to maybe like balance martial and spell casting. Mm. Um, whereas these ones are really about doubling down on the the casting well, features. Honestly, even though we say that, my cleric choice kind of did make him a little bit more martial, if anything. Uh, especially Cl going for a war or Twilight are, Domain. Clerics are are beefy. Well, so what domain did you say? Uh, Twilight Domain, Twilight which is domain, a new right, right? Kasha one. Look at us. We're all um, like brand new. <laughs> but the Twilight Domain gives heavy armor and martial weapons, which is nice, which meant I had a big, big, dark obsidian lens. This this is a pretty edgy character, uh, self-admittedly, sort of on purpose. Um, but when you're making 20th level stuff, what isn't a little edgy? You know? Um, but... Yeah, he, he had a lance with a Ruby of the War Mage, if you're familiar, is a common magic item to turn a weapon into a spellcasting focus. So he used that for his lance. Uh, and, you know, lances seem a little bit of an unconventional choice. Yeah, well, no, he has a not, mount, not a, a summoned conjured mount. Did, had, was it the cleric that gave you proficiency with a lance? Mm -hmm. Like I just said, proficiency, martial weapons, and heavy armor. That's from the wow. Twilight Domain. Wow. So not most clerics don't get that. Because you're not going to see a lot of wizards typically. Because he was more wizard than cleric. Yeah. Right? Way, how, way, 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 way. How more. many levels of wizard? I, I mentioned it when I first. It was 18 levels 18 of conjuration levels, wizard. Right. So you've got two, level, the, two levels of cleric, but like my build with two levels druid. You're just taking enough to get to pick some up some of, the, 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 and, yeah. some of the, the features that give some flavor. Cleric is quite sort of front-loaded, and they don't get a lot. They don't even have a 20th-level feature. They just get an improved divine intervention, you know? And so I just thought, okay, I'm just going to get my my Twilight Sanctuary Channel Divinity, which is the that the Channel Divinity, as mentioned, of the Twilight Domain Cleric, um, which is sort of like a, a sphere of darkness, but it's not quite darkness. It's just dim light. Uh, of twilight as they say you know and sort of like kind of like support ish but i used it mostly for myself or for my mount if we were in a little bit of trouble and it can end one effect causing you know someone to be charmed or frightened or it can grant temporary hit points equal to 1d6 plus my cleric, cleric level which is just two uh so not a whole lot but you know it's a free like you know six four you know five six uh temporary hit points every turn you know if i've especially if i've taken a little damage which is nice uh, the thing is, even with all my armor, I had like 20 AC and with shield reaction 25, um, at will essentially, because I took spell mastery, which if you don't know, is a super high level wizard feature to give you a first and second level spell at will. And for my first level spell, I chose shield. And so essentially I had a super good AC, but we ended up just making saves a whole lot of the time, which I was very well, bad at. Well, that's, and that just goes to show the DMs, the DM knew how to like was planning or just well, the he, stat block of the lich doesn't really have many attack rolls it just well, you, a lot you're, you're going to be dealing with with spell casters yeah there's a lot of saves involved right. with spell casters, i imagined right? being attacked like yeah so i think a lot of us were a lot of us were geared up to handle being hit by things that had like plus 12 to hit mm. um and we knew that that was very likely scenarios um 
And yeah, said we came across a very high-level spellcaster. And with high-level spells comes really difficult saves. Or in yeah. some cases, no chance to save. Uh, my character was was taken out of uh, the fight For just the towards the end. Kills. Yeah, yeah power kill. No, no save, nothing. At 88 hit points, uh, if you're less than 100, you're just dead. Yeah. Kind of a little bit of a bummer. That but... one sucked. But it didn't suck. It was good. Uh, I had no... No regrets. Uh, my character was the one that that uh, he burnt his high level spell slot on. Let the rest of you then. Mm, yeah, I, I burnt my my ninth level spell slot on a foresight. Yeah, for my which character. Ninth level spell everybody gives you advantage casting. on everything and disadvantage on attack rolls against you. I was getting everybody to cast ninth level spells on me. It's great. Well, really? Well, the two ninth level casters both did. Really? What was? Well, word of powered kill and foresight oh right right i can't say that i've played a lot of games where i've had a character who's had two ninth level spells cast on him in a game yeah it just doesn't happen that often it's pretty good the thing about like this like this character is his saves and you know spell save dc and his attack roll bonus from his spell attacks are pretty bananas because yeah. of a little loophole i found with uh the equipment um so yeah the from the, tasha's culture so we movie. had a preset sort of um rules for the the build where we could take one very rare one rare and one mm, uh, uncommon uncommon item and so that proved also to be quite an interesting challenge for everybody to sort of try and pick three items that worked in conjunction to boost their character mm. um, my first choice was some mithril plate which gave me an ac 18 before my shield which brought me up to 20 um and that meant i didn't have like disadvantage on the stealth. Not that we needed stealth at all. And not we did stealth. And I didn't need the strength requirement. So I was fine yeah, with being my feeble little wizard. Scrawny little wizard with a full Well, plate. he's not that scrawny. He had, I think, 12, yeah, in strength. So not great, but yeah. for 20th level character. But hey, it's better not than average. Not bad for full plate, though. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, Mithril. Exactly. Uh, that was my uncommon for my rare and very rare. I took two of the new special spellcaster items which if you're a multi-classing spellcaster you'll find it could be very very potent and hey uh, jeremy if crawford if you're listening your it's broken yeah i think it could be intentional but hopefully not maybe they eroded this i hope they eroded this soon because as a dm this is kind of like a you know bit of a well rup, rup. as a dm if you hand out both of these items in your campaign that's on you like, this was an yeah. unusual circumstance where the yeah. DM was like, hey, yeah, you can choose anything. But exactly. Even that, I could be like, okay, just pick a very rare and rare. Boom. Someone's got um, what? Let's, well, let me show you what I did. First, for my rare item, I chose the Amulet of the Devout, which is only for clerics and paladins. But thankfully, I took a little dip in cleric so I can use it. It bears the symbol of a deity, of a deity, my deity. I don't know. I would imagine it more of like a, I don't even think I had a deity in mind. You a Twilight deity, whatever that whatever. is. While you wear the holy symbol, you get a plus two bonus to spell attack rolls uh, and the saving throw DC of your spells, not cleric spells, spells, all spells, <laughs> which means or also gave me an extra use of channel divinity. That didn't end up being a huge deal. But when paired with my arcane grimoire, which is the same thing for wizards, while you're holding this leather bound book, you can use it as a spellcasting focus and you gain plus three bonus to spell attack rolls. Into the saving throw DC of your wizard spells, which means that I had a total of a plus five bonus 
to the spell attack rolls and saving three uh, saving throw DCs of all my spells. Which one would, one like would argue is kind of 16. breaks the bounded accuracy rules that prevent you from, say, stacking magical mm-hmm. item effects uh, in in such ways. Like but. you wouldn't like I think those were introduced to kind of like give that idea of a plus three longsword to a, exactly. a wizard. Right. But you can't usually like meld together a plus two and a plus three longsword to get like a plus five longsword. No, you can make it two you attacks. Do with you this. can make one attack with one hand at plus three, another with plus two. If but... I would suggest a balance change, I would be like, okay, DC of your cleric spells or DC of your wizard spells specifically, so it can like only affect, you yeah. know, one of. I mean, the it's bits, pretty. It's pretty. It was nice. It, the, the truth was is that in a twentieth level fight, it didn't really matter that much that you Not had really. plus five. It just meant that I, I was pretty much guaranteed to hit unless I rolled uh, and that yeah, one. But and that they were probably going to fail truth, unless truth you used legendary Most resistance. of the PCs at the table had such huge bonuses to attack. Well, rolls. nowhere close to mine. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I was like, they were like, oh, wow, plus 11, plus 13. That plus 16. I don't know. Yeah, I, the rest I, was, I was pretty happy The rest of us were probably about plus 12. You were, you were a solid four points. Someone said, oh, my spell save DC is 19. And I'm like, puny up. DC 24 over here. Uh, and I yeah, had it's, things It's pretty like, hard to save against 24s. It was nice for the disintegrate. You know, it's like, oh, does it 23 make it? Nope. You know? <laughs> but there was legendary resistances flown about anyways. So yeah. And counter spells and all that. So something I've learned, maybe investing in a globe of vulnerability if you're a spellcaster, especially a high level one, is a good idea. Yeah, it's you pretty. Know. It, it's a pretty easy way to protect yourself. Yeah, it does take up a turn in the action economy, but I wonder how long it lasts. In fact, I can look it's, it up right now. Yeah, I mean, if you if you've got uh, some friends around you to make sure that the you know the melee attackers can't get up close to you, because while that it has is. invulnerability in the title of it, it does nothing to stop. It's a minute. Physical items from hitting you. It only blocks magic, um, but. Hey, in a high-level wizard fight, blocking magic is super hey, important. Any spell of fifth level or lower cast from outside the barrier can't affect creatures or objects within it, even if the spell cast is using a higher-level spell slot. So you can't just, like, six-level counter spell. You know, like, it's but, boom. But dispel magic can target it, and that's the thing. Is it? Yeah. I think it, I, because yeah, you, you can, can dispel it. You just can't dispel things oh, within right, it. Oh, right, 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 right. Or objects within it. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, that makes sense. But then the idea of counterspell is you're not counterspelling it. You're counterspelling the caster. But a little weird. But yeah, whatever. And similarly, the area within the barrier is excluded from the areas affected by such spells. So fireball, you're safe, you know. Yeah, that that um, that's what the lich used. Uh, in the game to prevent us from counterspelling, but also one of the other players think cast it on themselves as well. Like it, yeah, I think so. But he was trying that. to counterspell and dispel that as well. But yeah, we had a high level bard, mm. uh, princess riding a unicorn Pegasus, shooting thing, eldritch shooting blast rainbows, rainbow flavored eldritch blasts. Yeah, it was mm. pretty good. She was awesome. Yeah, uh, but my main thing that I love about this build, that's more of a flavor thing, uh, is you know why did he pick a lance? That's sort of a very knighty mounted thing to do, and you're not really a paladin. So how did you summon or conjure a steed? Where did you get your mount from? Well, That's a fun, I got it fun from story. the depths of hell. <laughs> uh, I took the new 
summon fiend spell from Tasha's. Yep. Um, which is the sixth level spell, so quite high. And I use the whole, if you're unfamiliar, there's a whole rigmarole you can do if you trap it with a like magic circle and then planar bind it to your service. Uh, it extends the Essentially, spell Essentially, if, if you get a day or so of downtime, you yeah. can pretty much bind a, you can summon a fiend and bind it to your service for... Like a year. <laughs> for a 180 year. days. I, I did it so it was like that day of preparation. Um, and he is pretty cool. Ninth level summon fiend the day before which is nice you know it's he had over 100 hit points with my special conjurer stuff i couldn't lose concentration on him which is very nice uh, and i went the demon form with him uh, so i suppose not from the depths of hell but from the abyss if you're up on your DD lore uh, but it did mean that he had lots of hit points uh 21 ac and you summoned him as like a four-legged sort of yeah and i summoned him as like a shadow, big demon dog yeah, yeah dog thing like that was kind of furry Kind of skull-like, bony-like mm. sort of face with like big teeth that came out. Yeah. And this swirling and sort of black, shadowy energy. It's cool. Uh, and mist and smoke. Very, very edgy. Yeah, it was definitely, definitely had that uh, that that heavy metal poster sort of vibe to it. Mm -hmm. He could make four attacks on his turn, but he was good for moving around and all sorts of stuff. But yeah, he was a cool addition, you know. So I imagine my hobgoblin weird race uh on the back of his uh demon mount uh with with fiery lance in hand as he's slinging spells and yeah you don't usually you know, see like attacks with magic such a high level in a, in a aura of darkness hobgoblin mage no they're good seriously lumping into battle hobgoblins are some of the better wizards classes because mm. they actually get a bonus to intelligence yeah yeah, they're constitution and intelligence. There's like they're supposed to be like the intelligent goblins, you know, who are like actual like warriors and no tactics and things like that. And they're like more leaders than anything else. But yeah, it was cool. I liked him. But just given that you know hobgoblins are are supposed to be kind of like you know a little bit more martial. Uh, he also gave me that's what gave me proficiency with the lance. Uh, if I didn't already get it from right my cleric i would have gotten it from martial training which gave me a lance and a longbow i never used a longbow didn't even have one but just i can use it why why would you have got uh cantrips that exactly. deal and i got a plus 16 to hit firebolt which does 40 10 fire damage yeah or uh, a dc 24 toll the dead which does 40 12 necrotic damage yeah now why bother with anything else but i also had saving face which is a cool feature from hobgoblins if you don't know where if something misses with an if i were sorry if i miss with an attack or fail an ability check or save I can gain a bonus equal to the number of allies within thirty feet of me, which I probably should have used, but I kind of slipped my mind. Well, and we'll put a we'll put a link to uh, this character mm. uh, build in the description and below as well. So if you're looking for like some ideas on how to uh, how to put together some really high level characters, um, yeah, you can sort of dig through it and have a look at uh, yeah. He's got all sorts of spells. Yeah, I mean, we won't we won't try to go through a no caster like that. <laughs> like it's the spell book's deep, um, and actually, again, you only took standard amounts of spells in there. Like in theory, if you'd played up to twentieth level, there would have been chances for you along the way to buy way more spells. Yeah, um, and probably way more magic items and things like that as well. But you know, one shots are fun. Um, the friend that we were playing with, we were actually helping him play test what will be an ev eventually a uh, pay to play 
Sir Session that he's... Oh, well, hopefully I haven't spoiled too much, but... <laughs> yeah, well, he's got some variety to it. He talked us through how there's sort of multiple paths uh, to get to the the final boss. We played one of them. Um, and that's that's fun. Um, I think that there's a, lots of people out there wanting to try to give level 20 a kick once in a while. The idea of starting at level one and having to play all the way to level 20s... Mm. Like, Sometimes appealing. I never, think I, I like... Don't honestly, know if that'll ever happen, but... You know what? Honestly, in reflection, I think I prefer playing lower level characters. Yeah, no. There's I, something more real to them. I, I sort of find the sweet spot is five, six, four, yeah, five, six. Four, five, six. When you're starting honest. off. I sort of feel like almost like starting starting uh characters at level four mm. is just a little bit more interesting than and level ending one. the campaign at like nine or ten is what I usually do. Um but. well yeah, that's just it. I mean I've I've watched my my players uh go from one through uh, six uh, in Curse of Strahd. And then by mm. six, they're getting tough. Like yeah. they're things that, you know, not so long ago would have like crushed them. Now they just kind of, they walk through it like no big deal. Mm. So you've got to keep, as a DM, you've always got to keep the pressure on. you got to keep adjusting. Just as well, in the beginning you nerf, you've got to buff stuff up later on. We've seen this as well with Critical Role. You and I were sitting watching... Uh, so the, one of the last fights and we were keeping track of the damage they were doing we were tracking Crazy. it and rules is written the creature they were fighting i can't quite remember what it was now we looked it up but it was like 200 or something was it supposed to be its hit points and they what wasn't it what do you mean looked it up i think it was like a custom oh, maybe weird baby thing right was it the baby thing oh it was the baby thing yeah so we weren't looking it up we were just guesstimating what a boss fight would be but we were also basing that on the fact that we'd seen some you know, we've done some of these 20th level, and they're not even 20th level yet. They're like, what, mid-teens or something, right? Mm. Um, and I was thinking, okay, so it's probably got like two to 300 hit points, somewhere in there. Didn't it have like something It was like over 400. 400. Yeah, it like, was over 400. It's crazy. So, you know, uh, DMs need to know what their players can deal with. Uh, and they crushed wise. that thing. Yeah, they still they still shoot through it pretty good. Yeah, I was um, surprised. They did, I mean, Bo was, nearly died, but Bo almost always nearly they, dies. Um, yeah, they they struggle more when there's a lot more targets on the table. Um, if there's sort of very singular focus, uh, which was also the case for our twentieth level fight, there was a couple of others gargoyle things that we took up pretty quick. I almost felt like they were they were struggling more with the little icicle guys in that room than they were with that big thing. Yeah. Sometimes Seriously. little things get I mean, you more. action economy. It really shows you. You've got to give some stuff legendary actions or little minions that can run around and do things between turns. Like, yeah. The more the more you can like irritate characters, even if it just means like they don't take a lot of damage, but they lose their turn somehow. Hmm. That is that is so frustrating. That's the stuff that, and also that's the stuff that leads to people getting killed too because yeah. you can't respond to rush over and immediately heal them or whatever that they that you're, you're the, you can't do anything on your turn. You can't take an action. You're, you know, you're making saving throws to try and get out of a hole you're stuck in or something. So yeah, it's uh, it's a different game design with 20th level characters for both players and for DMs. Uh, but I think I think part of part of being good at the game, I think it's worth spending some time running 20th level stuff. Um, it was funny we originally thought that this we'd run that as a 17th level game and then he we'd sort of all talked about it and we were a bit like if we're going to do a 17th level why don't we just do a 20th level yeah like literally the difference is so you know oh now we just don't get capstones we might as well run with capstone features like 
just crank up the difficulty yeah. um, a little bit more and away you go. Yeah. Well, those are our two characters. Like we said, we'll have them up. I'm sure you can have a, a, a gander at them. Have a little look. like them, have a little look. Try making a multi-class. Yeah. Whether that be a druid lock, a, well, a, a multi-class cl- a lizard. A, put them both together. A, Take- we- a, a a Warwick? Take two spellcasters and jam them together. Uh, and I think you might find... Wizeric? You might find some good stuff going on in there. Yeah. What would you call a cleric wizard? Clarizard? Um, no. You're not, not even going to go there? Nope. Wow. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us. This is like Dragon Like Sun. Uh, you know, tell your friends. We're here. Yeah. Making making D and D a better place. In 2021. In twenty one twenty one. That's right. That's right. Alright everyone. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. Bye bye.